listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program and to a Monday and a big show ahead. The House is back in session, Queen's Park and question period underway. And later on in the program, Andrea Horvath, the leader of the NDP, will be joining me live on this radio program. But I begin with this question for you this morning. Do you feel like an idiot? Do you consider yourself to be informed and intelligent? You think I'm an idiot? What, then why does the Ontario government think you are an idiot? Coming up, my explanation of why I am saying that. I'm not saying it to be controversial. It's grabby, sure. It's grabby. But I thought a lot about this over the weekend. And I have examples ahead, and I will make my point. Why is it that this government, this provincial government, thinks you are an idiot? You think I'm an idiot? But I want to begin this Monday with a joke, because let's kick the week off with a joke. And this one comes courtesy of my 10-year-old son, who said, Dad, I got a joke for you. Uh, Will you do it on your radio show? And I said, yes, I will do that, but I will need some help. So for this joke, I would like to welcome to the radio program number two from the Toronto Raptors, Mr. Kawhi Leonard, 45 points in Game 1. Just monstrous. Thank you. I know Game 2 going tonight at 8. Uh, Mr. Leonard just sitting down. Kawhi, thank you very much for being here to help with this joke. I'll just start off then. Here, here is the joke. Why did the mushroom go to the party? Again, why did the mushroom go to the party? I'm a fun guy. Thank you, Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> okay. Let's get to the goods, shall we? Question period, as I mentioned, is back. The Premier is south of the border, meeting with representatives in the United States, trying to promote Ontario and open for business. But with the Premier not in town, what he said on this radio program a week ago from today continues to reverberate and make news. I will take you now to question period and Andrea Horvath talking about the interview the Premier gave on this radio program. Last Monday, the Premier called in to Global News Radio and spoke live on the air to Alan Carter. Among other things, the Premier said, and I quote, if anyone needs support on legal aid, feel free to call my office. I'll guarantee you that you'll have legal aid, end quote. So will the Attorney General repeat in the House today the Premier's words that anyone who contacts the Premier's office will be guaranteed legal aid coverage? Or was the Premier just making stuff up again? That is Andrea Horvath, the leader of the Ontario NDP in the House today. And Ms. Horvath will be joining me live on the phone shortly after 12.30 today. Stand by for that. But she was asking a question of the province's attorney general. Obviously, legal aid is her file. So, uh, Ms. Mulrooney, your response. Well, as members of this House know well, uh, the Premier is very connected to the people of Ontario through his phone. Phone calls and, and replies to cell phone messages because he wants to hear directly from Ontarians. We have a Carly Rae Jepsen premier in this province now. Call me, maybe, maybe I will call you back, maybe I will guarantee you some things. I want to get now to my central point of the next hour. Back to my question from this morning, which is Do you think you are an idiot? 
Do you think that the provincial government thinks you're an idiot? Well, let me tell you about why I say that. And we'll start with the guarantee from the Premier on legal aid. Remember the Goldilocks budget that the Premier promised? No cuts. But then after the headlines were digested, it turns out there are significant funding changes or efficiencies, as the government would say, especially to legal aid. I want to quote from the Toronto Star this morning. Legal Aid Ontario will be cutting full-time positions and implementing a hiring freeze in the wake of cuts announced in the recent provincial budget. In an email to staff Monday morning and obtained by the Toronto Star, the CEO laid out a number of changes the organization will have to make to save money. Given that the province said it will no longer provide funding for immigration and refugee cases, Field said in the email that the agency is now solely working with the amount it receives from the federal government, no more provincial funding. So why did they tell us that it was a Goldilocks right down the middle, no cuts, when it appears more and more each and every day that that is not the case? Now, remember when Minister Lisa McLeod loudly proclaimed that the government was eliminating the autism wait list? But then it turned out that the whole one-size-fits-all funding model that they announced will devastate so many families that need more intensive care. This, after all, is a spectrum disorder. And even with more money to try and stem the outrage, the, the negative stories continue. And there was a press conference this morning at Queen's Park about that. But I move on to education, post-secondary. Remember when the government touted a 10% across-the-board cut to tuition? Yeah, except it didn't talk about the elimination of low-income grants or how the costs of all of those cuts are being partially downloaded to the schools themselves. Let's move to education, to public education. When asked today in the House about significant changes to the funding model for education in this province that the uh, minister talked about on this program on, front, on Friday, the minister was asked about it today in the House and specifically was asked, will she admit that these are cuts? Speaker, this is nonsense what is being perpetuated by the opposition party. We are making sure that our number one priority is student achievement and they have the courses and they have the learning experiences that they deserve. That is the minister in the House. I want to play what she said on Friday here real quick. This is what she was touting. Our government is investing in teachers with a landmark $1.6 billion to ensure not one teacher will lose their job because of our proposed changes. Except for the TDSB saying this morning that no, there's a $21 million shortfall in this and that that is going to require some painful decisions. Do you feel like an idiot? Do you feel like you're being talked down to, told one thing when another thing is actually true? Well, let's get some perspective on that. Dorota Wilson is former executive director with SQE Canada and is an education policy consultant. We don't have a lot of time, Doretta, but do you feel like an idiot? Uh, no, because I've been I've been involved in this sort of thing for almost 25 years. So I've seen every government come and go, and I've heard the same same old same old rhetoric all the time. As far as the TDSB goes, that 21 million dollars is less than one percent of their total operating budget. 
maybe if they stopped with the $125 pencil sharpeners, and <laughs> they could certainly afford to find some savings there, I would think, without sacrificing programs and, and teaching. These, are not, these aren't union bosses like the progressive conservatives like to rail about. This is a school board. Yes, and I think school boards can be better managers. I think they've proven over the last few decades that uh, they, they are not always very good at what they're supposed to do. School boards across the province are worrying now how to handle the loss of teachers and course offerings. And I'm quoting here uh, from a story about the situation in the North, because Ontario boards in the North have smaller high school classes and now have more to lose. Why can't this government just tell us straight up, look, we got an $11 billion deficit, things are bad, we got We have to make some changes and well, just I, I, do I that. Are, I think they are trying to tell. But they keep saying, oh, no, teacher's going to lose their job, well, oh, no cuts. I think everybody, everybody's afraid of the power of the teachers' unions. Let's face it, they do control education in the province in, in, on almost every level. Because to be in education, you have had to have been a teacher and therefore a member of a teachers' union in this province. It's just the way it is and, and the way it works, and maybe that needs to change. And I think what might work a bit better is giving more local control to actual schools, giving them a budget and let them decide what works for them so that schools in the north, because we can do things in a different way that meet their needs specifically. It doesn't have to be the, you know, cookie cutter here, everybody gets so much per kid and do it uh, this way because we've been doing it this way for the past 40 or 50 years. It's, it's time to let more local decision-making happen, I think, and I've always thought that. We've always thought that. My organization has always thought that, and it's, it seems to work a little bit better for all concerned. Doretta, just, I'm just almost out of runway here, but you made the point that all governments do this. I take your point. I've covered other governments, but it seems more blatant in this case. Do you feel like you're being talked down to by this government? Um, not, well, yes and no. I think they're, I think they're trying to, they're, every government is afraid of rocking the boat to a certain extent. So they're always afraid to say what really needs to be said, what probably everybody, what your listeners are all saying to themselves behind closed doors, yes, we need to do something because, uh, we're, we were on the road to bankruptcy in Ontario. And I, when, when your interest payments are half of what your education budget is, then that's, that's a problem. We, health and education, need a lot of money over the next few years, especially health, because we have an aging population. And I, I, I think they've got to be a little bit more blatant, but nobody wants to hear the truth. So this this is so true. It over. All right, Doretta, thank you so much for being thank with you us. It's so bad that I think it's good. Yeah. It's so bad that I think it's good. got some big guests. The President of the United States is with us right now. And uh, Donald Trump, what do you want to do? We love the song, Oh Canada. Let's sing Oh Canada, right? I, I don't think we have time. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, and of course, our central question for this hour is... Do you think I'm an idiot? Do you think I'm an idiot? Why is it that this provincial government seems to be talking down to us? And uh, for my... Uh, next guest, I uh, this is going to be a softball for her because I, I have a sense that Andrea Horvath, who is the leader of the Ontario NDP, 
agrees with me that the communication style from the Ford government is perhaps talking down to us. Uh, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Alan. Uh, do you agree with me? Uh, do you feel like you're an idiot when you're leading, reading the press releases from the Ford government? Well, I mean, it's, it's really clear that the Ford government, um, you know, doesn't think that people can get their information from other sources than just the government. And so, well, you know, they accuse us of all kinds of things. Um, but certainly it's, uh, it's not just the official opposition that's calling them out on their cuts. And they are, they're, I guess they think we're all idiots. It's because none of us can uh, can find our own information about where those cuts are coming from, and we all know that they're there. Uh, last week uh, on this very radio program, we were talking about potential charges to be able to put beer and wine in corner stores, and, well, the Premier got a little upset about that. He called, and this was the first thing he said. Almost hit three telephone poles. <laughs> he said that he almost hit three telephone poles because we were misleading the public. Uh-uh. Uh, you talked a little bit about that radio interview in the House today. What did you ask? Uh, well, I mean, we, we, we basically asked the, the, you know, the Attorney General if she stands behind Mr. Ford's uh, response that cuts to legal aid can be solved by people just calling the Premier's office and making sure, you know, he'll make sure personally that you get your legal, legal aid certificate. And, and we know that that's just nonsense. But you know what? You are in good hands, uh, or in good company anyways, when, when you get accused of being misleading, because we get accused of that every single Well, let let me just, I'll play that actually right now. This is uh, Lisa Thompson, the Minister of Education, accusing you of this in the House today. Speaker, this is nonsense what is being perpetuated by the opposition party. We are making sure that our number one priority is student achievement, and they have the courses and they have the learning experiences that they deserve. Nonsense and fear-mongering. Respond to that, Andrea? Well, in fact, what we are doing is being a very vigorous and effective opposition and, and, you know, pushing back against the government that's dragging our education system backwards and putting people's, like, young people's futures at risk. That's what they're doing. So, you know, it's really interesting to watch a Minister of Education spend most of the time in question period name-calling the opposition uh, as opposed to justifying the uh, the cuts that they're making. My, My point about feeling like an idiot and the communication style from the government. Much of it comes from things like this. This is the Minister of Education talking on Friday as they just released the memo uh, about school funding. This is, of course, prior to school boards being able to digest what is really in it. But here is the minister speaking to me on Friday. Our government is investing in teachers with a landmark $1.6 billion to ensure not one teacher will lose their job because of our proposed changes. Quickly, Andrea, I'll give you a chance to respond. Is that the whole truth? Uh, well, no, it is not. And in fact, uh, that uh, that money isn't new money. It was in the budget. Uh, but what they have done is uh, is basically provided a, a new model that says that all of those teachers that are very skilled, that have specialized, uh, you know, in interests and specialized courses are going to be likely retiring and they're not going to be replaced. So kids are going to be without those kinds of specialized courses. And school boards are saying very clearly there are going to be between 5,000 and 10,000 uh, teaching positions gone. No, no, they promised. They promised yeah. us. They keep promising not yeah. one teacher. Yeah, they will be gone. And our kids are the ones that are going to suffer. All right, listen, this was the easy part of the interview for you. Now we move on to the more pointed question, which is we have an 11 point whatever billion dollar deficit, whatever the government says it is right now. We've got to get this spending under control. This is ludicrous. We have to make these changes. 
Well, look, I mean, it should be it should be about priorities for sure. Education and, and uh, healthcare, however, are always the top priorities of of the people of Ontario. But I mean, the, the, look at the, the government spending hundreds of million dollars uh, to mess around in Hydro One, hundred hundred over a hundred million dollars uh, U.S. to mess around in in Hydro One. And so you're talking about the Avista deal. That, I mean, that's slightly slightly off. But I, I put the no, point. I put the question pointedly to you, Andrea. How would you get spending under control? But these are the kinds of things that you wouldn't do. You wouldn't take a $40 million plan that the Liberals had in place and, and, and just kind of continue to do the same thing over again when that's one of the reasons why, you know, our, our, our finances are out of whack. I mean, this government's hiring all kinds of crony friends, increasing the salaries that these crony friends are, are receiving. Um, you know, this is not the way to, to manage a budget. Meanwhile, they're cutting our health care and education system. So it is about government priorities. And, and yes, you know, we do need to deal with the deficit. But we also need to recognize uh, that we have to have a, a province at the end of the day that supports the people that live here and help, helps people. But there uh, are to, tough questions. To they're, t- they're just tough. They're, these are tough decisions. And can we not just admit that these things must happen to get the financial books in order. No, no, I absolutely disagree with the priorities of this government. They're, they're hurting everyday people. Uh, well, they are, you know, reducing taxes uh, for uh, businesses, for example, reducing, uh, you know, the uh, taxes for the very rich. You can't have it both ways. I mean, there's two sides to the ledger. There's the revenue side and the expenditure side. So you can't say that you're really, really interested in reducing the deficit if you're, you're whittling away at the revenue stream. And so, again, the wealthiest people in Ontario don't need a tax break. Uh, certainly middle-income folks and lower-income folks need breaks, but not the wealthiest amongst us. We keep seeing that growing, growing divide uh, between the rich and the rest of us. Uh, those folks have to pay some of the freight uh, to help make sure we have a quality of life that, that sustains our province. Folks, 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 it's Andrea Horvath, the leader of the Ontario NDP. And uh, Andrea, appreciate you uh, calling in. Thank you very much. But before you go, I know that you listen to this radio program. I want you to be careful because when you listen to this radio program, this could happen. I almost hit three telephone poles. It could, <laughs> it could happen at any time. I don't talk on the phone while I'm driving. That's against the law in Ontario. Well, he's got a driver, you see. Oh, so. See, if you become premier someday, you'll have a driver too. Yeah, but how could you be hitting a telephone pole if you're if you're not driving? You think I'm an idiot? I don't understand. <laughs> Andrew Horvath, thank you so much for being with us. Our main question throughout the course of the hour is whether or not you think I'm an idiot. A number of people have responded to that. I appreciate that. Now, just, you know, the premier likes to give out his cell phone. I'm not going to give out my cell phone, but if you want to tell me I'm an idiot, it's Alan, A-L-A-N, Carter, one word, A-L-A-N, Carter, just all together, at globalnews.ca. Just, you want to tell me I'm an idiot? That's fine. Also, uh, I will direct any really positive stuff up the food chain to my bosses. So if you want to, you know... If you want to write me something just beautiful and glowing, I'll just I'll use that in my next contract negotiation. So I appreciate that. We have a great story coming out of Manitoulin Island. Uh, the first ever fully First Nations group from Canada to qualify for the Robotics World Championships. 
I don't know if you know anything about this robotics thing, but if you have kids in high school, it is a going concern, and it's a way for kids to really develop their skills with high tech. It just provides absolutely invaluable experience and so exciting that we have this now first fully First Nations group to get there, and their teacher is Chris Mara, who's a teacher at Wikwemakog High School in Manitoulin Island, and he joins me on the phone. Hi, Chris. Hi there. Hi. Tell me about how historic this is. Uh, well, we're the, we're the uh, first all First Nations team to uh, be at the World Championships. Um, we were also, uh, we placed um, in the top three finalists for the Chairman's Award, which is the most prestigious award in FIRST Robotics. So, and, um, so there we were, uh, top three for the finalists, and then there were three Canadian teams um, with their robots on the field. So it was a really uh, a proud moment for, um, for FIRST Canada. That that's amazing, and congratulations! And obviously, nobody on that team's an idiot. There's got to be some smart, smart kids. Tell me about motivating these students, and obviously, some of these students might come from difficult backgrounds, but motivating them to reach for more than they thought possible. Well, uh, we started a robotics uh, program five years ago. Um, the students uh, really have taken to it. Um, the game is released at the beginning of January, and they have six weeks to build, uh, and they put in hundreds of hours. Um, uh, there were uh, several weeks we were, you know, coming home at midnight. There was one, three in the morning build. Um, just uh, the students take to it with dedication and, and passion, and... Um, and uh, and they 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 learn about science and technology. Uh, the chairman's is also um, uh, talking about uh, how the students um, work to uh, increase awareness of uh, science and technology, engineering, mathematics, and um, they're really proud to uh, to inspire other, particularly young First Nations youth, in STEM areas. Chris Mara is a teacher at Wikwemakog High School on Manitoulin Island and is part of the team making history for First Nations in this country. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. We want to move on to something that you're going to see tonight on Global News, and I am excited to see this because I am a huge fan. I don't think I can express to you how much of a fan I am, and I know every word to this, for example. You know where the legend lives on down from. You do, don't you? It lives on down. Gordon Lightfoot is the feature of a new... There it is. From the Chippewa on down to the big lake they call Gitchagumi. I don't, why don't we just rename Superior Gitchagumi? At this point, I think we just should. That, of course, is the iconic wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald by Gordon Lightfoot. And over the course of the weekend, a new hot docs documentary on him and his life came out. And last week, our Tom Hayes had a chance to sit down and speak to the Canadian legend about his inspiration, how he comes up with music, and interesting to read in the National Post, obviously uh, Mr. Lightfoot doing a round of interviews in advance of this, and the National Post reporting that uh, he actually quit smoking for because of this documentary. 
and he says, quote, I started the same time I quit smoking cigarettes, that is. Now, is that not the most 2019 quote in the world? I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. <laughs> I didn't say I don't smoke. I just don't smoke cigarettes anymore. Uh, so looking forward to seeing that. And uh, join us tonight on Global News for Tom Hayes' in-depth uh, interview with Four Chord Gord. Four Chord Gord to me meant so much. I know this is so nerdy, but during my uh, teenage years when everybody else was rocking out to Zeppelin and everybody else and, you know, just get, I, I decided now, now I, this whole popular music thing's not for me. I'm just, I'm just going to just immerse myself in, in Gord's gold. That's all I'm going to listen to. Just Gord. And uh, it's meant so much to me. So I'm looking forward to that tonight. Do we have, we have some time for some Burger King news before we go real quick. Uh, this is not Rip and Read. This is Burger King news, but I have a series of Burger King updates for you. Mostly I'm reading all of this in the hope that they will send free burgers. But Burger King wants to sell more vegan burgers. This is a news story from Global News. The fast food giant, mostly known for indulgent meaty sandwiches, plans to expand a plant-based burger offering nationwide in the U.S. by the end of the year. It's been testing the so-called Impossible Whopper using patties from something called Impossible Foods. The chain said tests have gone exceedingly well. So, all you vegans out there, you can get down with the king soon. Now, here's another story from Burger King. A lot of Burger King news this week. A patty with zero milligrams of cholesterol, 17 grams of protein, 100% yes. Whopper. King, that's the, <laughs> that is the king know. talking about the Whopper right there. Uh, here, the green on the burgers wasn't lettuce, and now two New Mexico police officers are suing Burger King. The officers say they were served burgers sprinkled with pot when they stopped at a Los Lunas Burger King last month. The officers' attorneys say the case gives a whole new meaning to the word Whopper. Hey! Uh, the suit notes that the officers were in uniform and driving a marked patrol car when they ordered through the drive through window. Three employees at Burger King faced criminal charges related to the incident. Uh, what else? Oh, here we go uh, to Virginia. Quote, unquote, Greece may be the word, but it was also a crime for a Virginia man now facing grand larceny charges for the theft of hundreds of gallons of used cooking grease. News reports say Alvarno Foros of Richmond admitted to the April 4th theft of from a grease container outside of a Burger King. Police in Annadale says he used a hose to siphon the used oil into a 1,600-gallon tank. Cooking grease can be used to make biodiesel fuel, and authorities say thefts of used cooking grease have spiked as biodiesel prices have gone up. Well, there you go. you got to watch out for the grease trap. Well... Did we answer the question this hour? You think I'm an idiot? I'm not sure if we did. Kawhi, it's been fun having you with us. I'm a fun guy. Thank you, Kawhi and the President of the United States. What should we do on our way out? We love the song, Oh Canada. Let's sing Oh Canada.